0: Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, are you going to be watching the Golden Globes tonight? They're back.
1: No, because this is the first I'm hearing about them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I didn't go, I have to admit, I didn't go online or on Instagram at all today. So I didn't, did you post about it on your feed?
0: I posted when the nominations first came out. uh, And I'll do a little preview thing uh, later on Tuesday afternoon, probably. But remember, there was all that controversy with that award show. And that used to be the fun award show where like the actors all got drunk. And it was TV and movies, they sat at tables, etc. And then you found out there was like 84 foreign journalists, There was no diversity. They are basically being paid off. And you're like, wait, this is how awards get decided? So it like basically got put in a corner for a while. And NBC is bringing it back tonight. We'll see how it goes.
1: For me, Moshe, if you don't put it in one of your stories, (laughs) I don't know what's happening, okay? (laughs) So I blame you. I blame you for me not knowing about the Golden Globes. Jill,
0: we're really going to divide and conquer here. I need you to diversify (laughs) your news sources.
1: (laughs) I probably shouldn't admit this on the podcast. Okay, but we do have to get to some news here. On to the headlines. We're learning more about the six-year-old who shot his teacher in Virginia, how he got that gun, some controversial new guidelines for treatment of obesity in kids, including the potential use of surgery and medications. We have the latest on the failed weekend insurrection in Brazil. Evacuations are taking place in California as the state experiences record flooding. We also have some good climate news for once, if you could believe it. There is a new report on the ozone layer and what it means for all of us. A reminder that the Mega Millions jackpot tonight has surpassed one billion dollars. Why one of the world's best restaurants is shutting its doors. And of course, Moshe has on the same history.
0: Jill, I have a clue for you. The Mac Daddy will make you jump, jump. The Daddy Mac will make you jump, jump.
1: All right. Let's start, though, with some hard news here. Uh, We are learning more details about that tragic school shooting where a six-year-old Virginia boy shot his teacher. The police chief in Newport News said that the boy took a nine millimeter handgun from his home and brought it to school before he fired one round at the instructor as she taught. The gun was purchased legally by the boy's mother. So that boy was restrained by a school employee after he fired that shot until law enforcement was able to get there. Police took the boy to a hospital where he was given a mental health evaluation, and he is currently receiving court-ordered mental health treatment at an undisclosed facility. The six-year-old has not been charged with a crime. The police are still investigating exactly how the boy got the gun from his home. And they've yet to decide whether to charge anyone in connection with the case.
0: Yeah, this is really complicated for the authorities. The The good news so far is the teacher. She's 25-year-old Abigail Zwerner. She was struck in the chest and the hand uh, by the shot, but is now in stable condition at a local hospital. She actually managed to usher the students in her first grade a classroom over there at Rich Neck Elementary School in Newport News to safety after being shot looking back to make sure all were out uh, before seeking medical help for herself. This is according to a police press conference on Monday. The police said that she definitely saved a number of lives. Uh, The police chief actually grew emotional in the press conference while talking about it, saying he could not be more impressed with how the faculty and staff of the school handle things the principal has announced that the school will actually now be closed for the entire week they initially said they would only be closed two days counseling is available for students a town hall is scheduled for later in the week uh one parent and this is heartbreaking mark anthony garcia spoke with the washington post he's the parent of a second grader an eight-year-old that heard the shooting uh his eight-year-old does not want to return to school
1: I get it. Um, That that's just traumatic to be involved in this in any capacity. At this point, it is unclear what legal consequences the student may or may not face in the shooting. Andrew Black, a law professor at UVA, tells CNN that while it is technically possible for prosecutors to file charges against a six year old in Virginia, since it does not have a statutory age limit, he uh, says it is incredibly unlikely that it would lead to a successful prosecution. The main hurdle, he says, is that a defendant must be found competent to stand trial meaning that the court must find the defendant is able to both understand the nature of the legal proceedings against him and also assist his lawyers in his own defense. So it's virtually impossible to imagine that a six-year-old would meet either of the criteria necessary to find competency. Yeah,
0: I can't even imagine them prosecuting a a six-year-old watching that trial. Uh, Somehow, if they do file any charges, apparently they can use what's called an infancy defense, which essentially says that anyone under the age of seven can never be found criminally responsible. The student also happens to be too young for a detention center. Uh, If he were to be found guilty, the juvenile justice system is just not set up to handle kids that young the courts have limited options in Virginia where a, uh, someone must be 11 years old to be held in a state facility. That leaves open other possibilities like residential treatment or other support services for the family. There is a scenario here where they could actually go after the parents uh, who would be held criminally liable if the weapon belonged to them. In this case, we know it belonged to the mother uh, and they find that she did not keep it properly locked up in a safe, out of the hands of children. Though in Virginia, that is only a class one misdemeanor. Uh, So no word yet on uh, the extent the mother is cooperating or details there.
1: All right, Moj, on to our next story. Some new U.S. medical guidelines were released on Monday that say childhood obesity requires early aggressive treatment and potentially medication. The American Academy of Pediatrics' new guidance on childhood obesity, the first in 15 years, moves away from watchful waiting or delaying treatment to see if children outgrow obesity. Now the leading U.S. pediatricians group is advising pediatricians to offer treatment options early and at the highest available intensity for one of the most common chronic diseases among children, Untreated, obesity is associated with a range of long-term health problems, including heart disease and diabetes. The most effective interventions require upwards of 26 hours over 3 to 12 months of intense in-person behavior and lifestyle treatment from healthcare providers, and that could include coaching on nutrition, physical activity, and changes in behavior, such as role modeling by parents. They say this approach should be used for kids as young as 2 and through age 11, But it acknowledges that this kind of time-consuming treatment is not universally available and is often difficult to deliver. After this intensive therapy, weight-loss drugs should be considered for adolescents as young as 12 while teens 13 and older with severe obesity should be evaluated for weight loss surgery. Again, this is according to those new guidelines.
0: Yeah, so obesity affects nearly 20% of kids and teens in the U.S. You're talking of uh, more than 15 million. Uh, when it comes to adults, 42% of adults now uh, experience obesity, according to the CDC. Looking at those numbers, Jill, I was trying to find some global numbers. Right now, the U.S. falls in the top 20 in the world in childhood obesity. Uh, childhood obesity rates in the U.S. have continued to rise over the past decade and a half higher and are now higher than the rest of the Americas uh, and uh, nearly all of Europe. The group's guidance here, this uh, group of pediatricians, takes into consideration that obesity is not just lifestyle, uh, but is sometimes a genetic, a biological issue, and that the condition is a complex chronic disease. Notably, these guidelines come as new drug treatments for obesity in kids have emerged, including the approval late in December of Wegovy. We've been talking about that drug on the podcast. That's a weekly injection. It is now approved for use in children ages 12 and older. Different doses of the drug called uh, semiglutide are also used under different names to treat diabetes. A recent study published in the New England Journal of Medicine found that Wegovy helped teens reduce their BMI by about 16% on average, uh, better than the results in adults, actually. Though, Jill, there are a lot of experts in pediatric obesity, who are cautioning uh, against the use of a medicine and potentially surgery in obese children, saying that while obesity must be treated early and intensively, uh, they worry that some doctors may turn too quickly to drugs or surgery. Uh, These other pediatricians are urging a sharper focus on diet, nutrition, getting away from ultra-processed foods that are high in sugar and low in fiber.
1: Moshe, I've mentioned on this podcast before, my daughter has food allergies, and so I am forced to read And when I say read, like read every single ingredient in the food that she eats, especially when you go to the supermarket. Um, And I have to tell you, it is pretty frightening, actually, some of the things that are in food, uh, especially the kids' foods. Uh, What is it they say? If you can't pronounce it, you probably shouldn't eat it. Um, and there's, a t- I will say, a ton of stuff that you cannot pronounce in all of these foods.
0: Yeah, and and it's notable, Joel, that uh, the European equivalents of the FDA are much more restrictive in those countries in terms of allowing all of these uh, modified and artificial ingredients in their foods there. And so some people are saying, and the reaction to this has been almost in unanimous on the Instagram feed when I posted it on Monday afternoon, being like, we gotta look at our food, we gotta look at activities, people saying that you know recess has been cut from the schools, their kids, Go to. So, between physical activity and food, uh, you know, that's certainly an issue here. And obviously, there are going to be cases where biologically some kids will have some obesity issues. And certainly that has to be taken seriously. But the concern here is that, you know, these approaches in terms of drugs and surgery might be applied widely when you can do other things in advance of that.
1: Most the AAP says the new guidelines do not directly address obesity prevention. That will come in future guidance, but they do emphasize the importance of funneling funds into public health policies aimed at obesity prevention. So this includes creating safe, walkable neighborhoods, arming schools with the tools they need to support healthy lifestyles during childhood and making sure everyone has equal access to affordable, healthy food, which is not yet a reality
0: yeah a bunch of doctors spoke out about this that you know the, the changes that they're recommending here uh, require significant changes that are sometimes outside family control. NBC quoted this Dr. Roy Kim, who's a pediatric endocrinologist over at the Cleveland Clinic and he says that we can recommend more servings of vegetables, more physical activity, but if a person's neighborhood has no grocery stores to shop at or sidewalks or parks to walk in, these recommendations are not realistic. All right. We have a lot more news to get to, including today's speed read. But first, I want to thank a couple of our podcast sponsors this week. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day, uh, Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as we try to get through this cold and flu season. I've been using Athletic Greens AG1 powder For a couple months now, it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's that simple. The experience is uh, affordable. And I've been getting that extra boost of energy, especially when I used to lag midday. The AG1 powder contains more than 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support your gut health. And here is the best news with your first purchase of AG1. Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can get that all at athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health. And there's one more great deal I want to tell Monews listeners about. This comes to us from our friends at Bolin Branch Bedding and Sheets. We've been talking a lot about them on this podcast. Uh, I hope that everyone has been getting a good night's sleep as we begin this new year but let's talk briefly about what can help you with that. Great sheets. My wife and I got our first set of Bolin Branch in the fall. They're keeping us warm during these winter months. They're made with the softest, 100% organic cotton, no toxins they get softer with every wash we are awaiting our second set they actually come in all sizes 10 different colors and they are extending a special deal for mo news listeners you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code mo news over at bowl and also free shipping and returns that is bowl and branch b o l l a n d branch.com promo code mo news
1: Time now for the speed read. This one from the AP. We are continuing to monitor those record storms in California. An evacuation order for the entire community of Montecito and surrounding canyons is in place with major mudslide and flooding concerns. The National Weather Service reported at least eight inches of rain fell over 12 hours, with several more inches predicted before the latest storm system moves through the area. Montecito is squeezed between mountains and the Pacific and is home to celebrities like Oprah Winfrey. Ellen DeGeneres, Rob Lowe, and Harry and Meghan. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown said that its decision to evacuate nearly 10,000 people was based on the continuing high rate of rainfall with no indication that it's going to change before nightfall. Creeks were overflowing, many roads were flooded, northbound lanes of US 101, a coastal route, were closed along with several other highways and local roads.
0: Jill, Ellen DeGeneres was doing sort of on the scene reporting on her Instagram feed, just posted a video. She says that her house is high enough Uh, that she doesn't need to evacuate. She got shelter in place. But uh, this comes about five years after those uh, deadly mudslides the area experienced. The National Weather Service warns that this relentless parade of what they call atmospheric rivers, which are long plumes of moisture stretching out into the Pacific, uh, is going to, continue for uh, the next couple days uh, already the storms last week knocked out power to thousands flooded streets battered the coastline and now they're going to be inundated with more president biden has already issued an emergency declaration to support storm response and relief efforts in more than a dozen counties across the state sacramento santa cruz la uh, the death toll is already up to 14 as a result of the violent weather the governor warning people to heed warnings, heed evacuations, otherwise stay home. And that's in the low-lying areas up in the mountain locations. They're going to see up to six feet of snow where they will be seeing an increased chance of an avalanche. By the way, when you look at these numbers, Jill, uh, given how uh, much of California is covered by these storms, it's about one in 10 Americans, 10% of Americans right now uh, are experiencing these conditions.
1: You posted the Ellen DeGeneres video to Instagram, so I did see it. Um, And (laughs) I was impressed. I thought that she did a great job. If comedy doesn't work out for her, I feel like she could be the next Al Roker.
0: We're certainly waiting to see what she does next after the um, Ellen show is over. So maybe, maybe meteorology. But uh, it it is a uh, very concerning situation uh, for for many folks there. And uh, let's hope and pray that, you know, people are able to stay home, stay dry, Um, as they get battered by these storms, and and they're set to last for at least another week.
1: From The Guardian, army and riot police clear Bolsonaro supporters from Brasilia as U.S., Mexico, and Canada say they stand by democratic institutions. Brazilian authorities vowed Monday to protect democracy and punish thousands of supporters of ex-president Jair Bolsonaro, who stormed and trashed the nation's highest seats of power in a riot On Sunday, protesters swarmed into Congress, the Supreme Court and the presidential palace. Many of them said they wanted the Brazilian army to restore the far right Bolsonaro to power and oust the newly inaugurated far-left President Lula da Silva, who they believe is corrupt. The Brazilian Supreme Court has ruled that the fall election was fair, but the protests have continued. The federal police say they already plan to indict about 1,000 people.
0: The justice minister spoke out on Monday saying that the police have begun tracking those who paid for the buses that transported all the protesters to the capital. at a press conference. Uh, he said that the rioters apparently intended for their displays in Brasilia to create a domino effect across the country in Sao Paulo, in Rio de Janeiro, that did not take place. So the Brazilian authorities believe that the worst is over. The government's now focused on punishing the lawbreakers. The president, the new president, Lula, dubbed them fascist vandals, coup-mongering terrorists. He blamed the former president Bolsonaro for inciting the violence and said the military police did absolutely nothing to stop it, uh, thinking that there were some uh, police officers who may have been in on it. Meanwhile, in Florida, that's where the former President Bolsonaro is. He, incidentally, on Monday, Jill, checked himself into a hospital. That is according to a post by his wife, Michelle Bolsonaro. He was admitted on Monday for uh, what they say is abdominal pain related to injuries uh, from a 2018 knife attack at a rally. He's had multiple hospitalizations through the years. Uh, Though The timing on this one is interesting. It does come, Jill, as several Democratic members of Congress here in the U.S. are calling for President Biden to boot him from the U.S. deport him. It is unclear right now what type of visa Bolsonaro has, how long he is able to stay. But as of right now, he's sort of watching this all take place from Florida.
1: The Washington Post did a kind of a funny story about him. Uh, Bolsonaro's new life as a Florida man, fast food runs and selfies. And I'll just read one quick paragraph. In the week since he has been spotted waiting in line at Publix, eating alone at Kentucky Fried Chicken and posing for selfies with the bevy of fans who show up at the modest two story home where he is staying. Um, I just. There is something somewhat humorous about it. Just him at Publix. It's like, of course he's at Publix because where else would you well, be his, in Florida? He's in
0: Florida. You go, everyone in, everyone in Florida was saying, of course, he loves the pub sub. So just behind Mickey Mouse, he's the second most visited site, right? Visit destination in Orlando. But on a serious note, people are like, well, what's he doing here? And because uh, some believe that if he went back to Brazil, he might be prosecuted. So he's trying to avoid prosecution. So it'll be interesting to see when or if Bolsonaro ever goes back to Brazil.
1: For MarketWatch, Disney CEO Bob Iger wants employees to return to the office four days a week, starting March 1st. Employees currently working in a hybrid fashion will be asked to spend four days a week on site, targeting Monday through Thursday as in-person workdays. Iger said in an internal email obtained by MarketWatch.
0: The edict comes just weeks after Iger took over Disney from the ousted CEO, Bob Chapek. Uh, And he is the latest high-profile executive to be asking their employees to return to the office at least three days a week. Last month, the CEO of Snapchat, Evan Spiegel, said that the company expects employees to spend 80% of their time in the office. Apple, Twitter, JP Morgan have all made similar requests. It's interesting, Jill. A lot of uh, CEOs uh, looked at Elon Musk here as uh, inspo to a certain extent. Uh, when he basically mandated people come back and people are feeling, CEOs are feeling, that now three years, March will mark, what, three years since the first quarantine, that it's time for everyone to come back, that uh, their employees tend to be more productive when they're in the office. At least that's their impression.
1: Elon Musk, thought leader. Um, You know, look, I think that there's a couple of, parts to this here. For one, the labor market is getting a bit tighter, right? So you're seeing a lot of layoffs. And so employers definitely can make more demands. Additionally, what I find fascinating here as well is he, they're now saying four days a week that you have to be in the office, right? And and we just said Snap CEO and others saying they've got to spend at least 80% of their time in the office. That is still a huge change. Sure from from just three years ago, right? So we're saying, okay, it's kind of this return to office. But I don't know if somebody, you know, four years ago said, okay, you could do Monday through Thursday from the office, but every Friday you can work from home. I think most people would be pretty psyched about that.
0: Yeah, except it's not all Disney employees, right? Mickey, Minnie, Cinderella. They'll have to still show up at the park five days a week, right? Or are they Zooming with the kids these days?
1: <laughs> I hope for the kids' <laughs> sake that they're in person. I would hate to show up and be like, listen, Minnie is working from home today. Right?
0: Right. They'll be like, wait, this looks like mommy and daddy's work. You're like, yeah, Minnie's in box number three. uh, Hold on, Minnie, your audio. Turn your audio on. All right, Jill, real briefly, a reminder from Reuters. Tonight is the $1.1 billion mega millions jackpot. It seems no one can win the jackpot, so it keeps getting larger. The last time someone won the top prize was back in mid October. So there have now been 24 straight drawings without anyone winning. This prize tonight, if you are so lucky, is the fifth largest ever in American history. But remember that the odds are one in 302.6 million, one in just under 303 million uh, in order to win. But that's not going to stop me from buying a ticket, Joe.
1: <laughs> I was just going to ask you, are you somebody who buys today? It,
0: it, it reminds tickets? me of Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance.
1: Okay, from Yahoo News, DeMar Hamlin heads back home one week after his terrifying collapse. Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin was discharged from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center on Monday and was flown home to Buffalo. Hamlin was in the Ohio hospital since he first experienced cardiac arrest on the field. Doctors say he's been up walking in the hospital in recent days, tolerating a regular diet, and has been meeting with family members and his care team. Hamlin's case has now been transferred to a hospital in Buffalo where he will continue to recover, something that will be measured in weeks, two months. Still unclear, though, if he's going to be able to play again Uh, Regardless, though, a remarkable, remarkable recovery,
0: especially given what we knew last Tuesday at this time and what we know today is really something and gives you hope.
1: Okay, Mosh. something else that gives us hope here from CNBC, the Earth's ozone layer is slowly recovering. A UN panel announced Monday that the Earth's protective ozone layer is on track to recover within four decades, closing an ozone hole that was first noticed in the 1980s. Those are the findings of a new scientific assessment. The landmark Montreal Protocol Agreement, which was signed 36 years ago, banned the production and consumption of chemicals that eat away at the planet's ozone layer. The ozone layer in the upper atmosphere protects the Earth from the sun's ultraviolet radiation, which is linked to skin cancer, eye cataracts, compromised immune systems, and agricultural land damage, and it leads to millions of deaths every year. Scientists and environmental groups have long celebrated the global ban of ozone-depleting chemicals as one of the most critical environmental achievements to date. Scientists say the recovery is gradual and will take many years. If current policies remain in place, the ozone layer is expected to recover to 1980 levels, before the appearance of the ozone hole by 2040, according to that report.
0: So by 2040, we'll be where we were at in 1980. I mean, I remember growing up, I'm sure you do too, Jill, hearing about the ozone layer, the hole in the ozone and how worried we were uh, about it. So this is a huge achievement. This was a deal, the Montreal Protocol that you mentioned back in 1987. It became the first UN treaty ever to achieve universal ratification and almost 99% of banned ozone-depleting substances have now been phased out. You might remember those are what were called chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs. They were found in spray cans, refrigerators, foam insulation, air conditioners, hairspray, and they were blamed for eating away at the ozone layer. So this started getting traced in 1980. They came up with this agreement, and this shows major success. In fact, the peak ozone hole, the largest ozone hole we've ever seen, was in the year 2000, and it's been gradually coming down Um, since then. So the good news here also is this has some knock-on effects for global warming. Apparently, if the ozone hole had stayed at its existing levels, that would increase the temperature of the Earth by yet another degree by the middle of the century. So uh, ideally, that won't happen here. The two areas that have experienced the ozone depletion the worst, where it's actually really dangerous to be outside, Antarctica and the Arctic, that's where the hole will take the longest to close up by the 2060s, so just about 40 years from now. Uh, The positive news here, Jill, is this shows that if the Earth can come together and all the governments can come together and, um, you know, all agree to something and implement it we can change and reverse some of the effects we're having on this earth so uh with there's hope that seeing this will inspire countries to do more for climate change and global warming which is a, a slightly separate issue from the ozone layer
1: okay from the new york times noma braided the world's best restaurant is closing its doors. Noma has repeatedly topped lists of the world's best restaurants and its creator, René Redzepi, has been hailed as his era's most brilliant and influential chef. The Danish restaurant will close for regular service at the end of 2024 after 20 years in business, serving dishes based on locally foraged ingredients from reindeer brain custard with bee pollen, to a quince and fermented rice ice cream with an oyster caramel. Redzepi has long acknowledged that grueling hours are required to produce the restaurant's cuisine, and he said that the math of compensating nearly 100 employees fairly, while maintaining high standards at prices that the market will bear, is simply not workable. We should note, at Noma, a meal currently costs at least $500 a person, and that is before you add wine.
0: So you can still save up for the next two years before it closes its doors, though apparently it is impossible to get a reservation there. A little background here. Noma was first named the world's best restaurant back in 2010 on Restaurant Magazine's influential list. It then received about 100,000 reservation requests a month for its 40-seat dining space. It was named the world's best restaurant again four more times over the last decade. The restaurant actually has three Michelin stars. That's the highest possible rating. Apparently, after the end of next year, it will become a what he calls a full-time food laboratory, developing new dishes, and products for its e-commerce operation called Noma Projects. And the dining rooms will open only for periodic pop-ups. The decision does come, by the way, as Noma and other elite restaurants have been facing a lot of scrutiny for their treatment of workers, many of them paid poorly or not at all, who produce and serve these dishes. The style of fine dining that Noma helped create and promote around the globe may be undergoing a sustainability crisis, so to speak, according to to the New York Times. And by the way, we should note that uh, the chef here has been accused and admitted to bullying, verbal abuse and creating an all around rotten work environment at NOMA. One intern tells the New York Times, Jill, that interns were required to work in silence and were f- forbidden from laughing.
1: What? <laughs>
0: when, when you charge five hundred dollars for dinner the, and you're an intern in this restaurant, you will just watch and you will shut up and you will not laugh.
1: I was just thinking to myself, what is the most that I would pay for a meal? Yeah. Um, I don't know. What What do you think?
0: Reindeer bream custard with bee pollen, quince and fermented rice ice cream with oyster caramel. I mean, listen, if you're charging those prices before the alcohol, like it better be good. I mean, I've always I, I was doing a little research on this because I was like, how many restaurants in the world have three Michelin stars? And there's just under just 142. I guess after they close, there'll be 141. And in all those restaurants, that includes like Alinea in Chicago um, and several here in New York. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think you can go to any of those restaurants and get out of there at less than $250, 300 a person.
1: Maybe just being a parent right now, that just feels like <laughs> so much money. So
0: excessive. I mean, you might be familiar with places like Eleven Madison Park, Le Bernardin, per se. Um the inn in little Washington down in d c French laundry up in uh Yundville, uh just north of san francisco, so uh of of the- you're like check 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 <laughs> no no, no <laughs> you
1: all these I've, places. I've heard no, I've
0: heard of them i haven't i have only gotten to i don't think I've eaten at any of them, actually, no, we couldn't get into French laundry, we tried the second pass, like all these places like have like six month waiting list, and you have to like know somebody to get in and then um. Alinea, just because like I'm from Chicago, I watched one of those chefs tables on Netflix about Grant Aschitz, who's the chef there, and like you just go there, but like you have to know that like basically treat it like a vacation, right? Like you're gonna spend a thousand dollars on a meal, like you're gonna have to kill a vacation for, for the year, and just like really, it's an experience, right? But uh, yeah, I mean these the, the prices are a little out of control. There are um, of the Michelin star three star restaurants in the world, Jill. Um, the most in France, 31 of them, 21 in Japan and 14 here in the U.S.
1: Very interesting. No, but, but yeah. that is what it is. You have to, those restaurants, you do go for the experience, right? And if you're a foodie, I, I understand why you would want, be willing to spend that. I mean, it's a, it's a meal you'll probably talk about for a long time.
0: Jill, I'll let you know when I can get into one of those places.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're gonna have to sell a lot of bull and branch sheets on this podcast. <laughs> All right. Before we go, as always, I have a little on this day in history for everyone on this January 10th. On this day in 1946, the first meeting of the General Assembly of the United Nations took place. Fifty one nations were in the U.N. at that time. And the meeting took place in London. Actually, there was a whole vote that went on. I dug into this because what else do I do, Joel? I was like, well, how did New York how did the U.S. get decided as the location for the U.N.? Apparently it was a hot debate Um, The Europeans wanted it there. The Russians actually wanted it in a new place as well as the rest of the world. So the U.S. got voted on it. And then a bunch of cities in the U.S. competed for it. And that included Detroit, San Francisco, St. Louis, New Orleans, Philly. Apparently, a lot of them didn't want it in New York. And eventually, New York was the compromise candidate. So on this day, first meeting of the U.N. uh, back in 1946. Uh, Then a couple birthdays we have for you. Rod Stewart turned 78 today.
1: Will I see you tonight? There you go. <laughs> there yeah, you yeah, go. Like, <laughs> On the downtown train.
0: I love that song. And then Chris Smith of the duo Chris Cross turns 44 today. He was the daddy Mac to Chris Kelly's Mac Daddy. Unfortunately, Chris Kelly, we lost about a decade ago to a drug overdose. But Chris Smith uh, turns 44 today.
1: So Chris Cross will make you jump, jump. The Mac Dad will make you jump, jump.
0: Did you ever try to wear your clothes backwards like they did? That was like a thing in Halloween in the early 90s.
1: I'm thinking, no, I never tried to wear them backwards. But I I feel like, were they the first group that, I I feel like they wore those really, really baggy pants. I think it was becoming. maybe started that trend. I think it was
0: becoming in fashion, but I believe they were the only ones that wore the baggy pants backwards, which I tried to do one Halloween and realized like it made going to the restroom really, really challenging.
1: (laughs) How does that work exactly? It doesn't.
0: Let me tell you, it doesn't. (laughs)
1: And Moshe, I think a lot of women will appreciate this. If you think wearing pants backwards is hard to go to the bathroom, try wearing a jumpsuit. It's, <laughs> it's brutal.
0: <laughs> I, I can't say that I've tried it, Jill. I can't say that I've tried it. Um, Jill, one more piece of on this day history for you today. Uh, the Sopranos premiered 24 years ago today on HBO. Real iconic show that really helped, I mean if HBO wasn't popular enough at that point, that and like Sex and the City come within a year of each other and really take HBO to the next level.
1: So I actually remember this pretty clearly because I went to high school with Jamie Lynn Sigler, who is Meadow on The Sopranos, and she was around my age. And I remember she got this part on on The Sopranos and it was on HBO. And at the time, HBO was not the HBO that it is now. And I feel like we all were kind of like, what is she doing? And we thought it was cool, but we didn't totally understand, you know, it wasn't, it just wasn't like the, how HBO now is just, you know, produces all of these hits after hits. Um, and I, I just so distinctly remember it. And it just blew up between the Sopranos, like you said, sex in the city um, and all these hits. Uh, but, the Sopranos was the first one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember there's a time where you sort of like them, Showtime, the movie channel, Cinemax, you kind of just group them together. I remember like, you know, when the, I remember the cable systems would like give you a free month once in a while of all of them. And you they're all sort of synonymous and this sort of helped HBO kind of break through there. Um, and staying with entertainment here, a reminder, Golden Globes are back tonight. So maybe we'll do uh, we'll do a breakdown of some things from on the podcast tomorrow if there's any interesting headlines there or a slap.
1: I am I was going to say <laughs> I am sure they well, I'm sure that they're all going to just be on their best behavior.
0: Except for the drinking. I wonder if they still get to drink at the tables. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I hope so. Um, All right. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. We see the numbers growing every day, Joe, I've been tracking the numbers on uh, Megaphone, this program we use, and more downloads every day. So appreciate all of you out there who are listening and telling everyone about it. And- following or subscribing to the show so you don't miss a single episode. And
1: please review us in the App Store. It helps us grow. And of course, don't forget to follow us at Mosh on Instagram at M-O-S-H-E-H.
0: It's Jill's favorite news source, everybody. So get with the program.
1: By the way, I was exaggerating. Of course I get my news from other places too. But I do rely on lot.
0: I know you do. I know you do. Um, you're always you're you're dropping new stories in there left and right, and I was like, oh, where do you find this one? But you know, there's just so many places. I mean, even we should say, even as like journalists, like trying to get all your information. And then also even like when we put together like the, the podcast, trying to get the details on like any of our stories today, we have to go to four five, sometimes six, seven sources to answer some of these questions. So um, it is a process and that's why we try to keep things simple for you here.
1: Yes, Moshe. And we are all very thankful for your uh, Instagram account. I will tell you, it is definitely my first stop uh, of the day. Okay, uh, big thank you to everyone again for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
0: Bye guys.